because of this shift that we observe, this shift from the indicative to the imperative. And I want to make sure that we're up to speed on, on that concept and those terms. Uh, we saw several weeks ago in chapter 23 this shift. And we saw it again last week in chapter 24. The, the first half of chapter 24 are statements of God's grace and His blessing. Reminders of His deliverance, of His protection, of His provision. That's what we mean by the indicative. Statements that indicate what God has already done. Indicates that which is true. And so we have a shift now in the second half of 24 from that to God's commands, His demands, His expectations of how we will then live in light of that blessing that we have received. How then ought we to live and to behave and to obey? And we see this shift occur throughout Scripture. It is this shift from one to the other, and the order is always the same, and the order is important. First, we start with what God has done. His grace, His blessing, the indicative. Then... And only then comes our response to His blessing and His grace. And that's the imperative. All the other world religions I mentioned a few weeks ago, all the other world religions reverse this order. And it's a deadly reversal. Where you behave in hopes that you might be blessed. But our orthodox faith... The true gospel of Christianity says that God has reached out in love to us first. He has extended grace first. And then that grace enables and fuels our glad response of obedience to Him. It's seen throughout Scripture. We saw it in Joshua 23. We see it now in 24. So last week we looked first at the indicatives. We examined His grace. His blessing, His goodness to His people. And this week we're moving to the imperatives. The commands and the expectations of how Israel and how we too should live in response to the grace that has already been received. So we're going to look at these imperatives. We're going to examine the commands and the expectations. But I want to make sure that we stay focused on how God's grace is the fuel, how God's grace enables the fulfillment of these commands and expectations. So that's what we're doing this morning. I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 14 through 28, a little bit less than what's printed in your, in your worship folder. This is the very Word of God. Now therefore, fear the Lord... And serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us 
and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with it people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord and Joshua said to all the people behold this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us therefore it shall be a witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Oh God, as we wrap up our study of this book this morning, would you prove yourself no less faithful on the final day as you did on the very first day that we looked at it? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you cast your light on these words? Would you shine your light deep down into our hearts? Would you cause these truths to take root? Would you help us to understand both the indicatives and the imperatives? And would you fuel our response to your commands? by the grace that's already been poured out. Would you do all of this for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we looked closely last week at the first 13 verses of this chapter. We looked at God's grace and His blessing. We looked at the indicative And now we finally have this chapter concluding with very clear imperatives. Commands to obey, instructions to follow, expectations that need to be met. And so first I want us to look at the specifics of those imperatives. What's here for us to obey? What's here for us to follow? What is it that the Lord requires of recipients of His grace. He's rescued them. He's redeemed them. He's protected them and provided for them. Now what? Well, we get a very nice summary in verse 14. In a nutshell, here it is. 
fear the Lord, serve Him, and put away everything else. Fear, serve, put away. It's a, it's a comprehensive commitment that's called for. A commitment to the Lord to, to fear Him, to serve Him, and to put away other gods. And so our first task this morning is to look closely at what this commitment entails. And so I've got several things in the outline in your worship folder. The first thing that we see, this commitment, this service that's called for is total. It's total. Notice how the serving and the fearing is supposed to happen. Fear and serve the Lord in sincerity. And in faithfulness. Now, there's, there's lots wrapped up in these two words. And your English translation, depending on which one you have, might do something slightly different. But for sincerity, there's this idea of wholeness. Of integrity. Uh, there's not any division here. There's no hypocrisy here. There's no saying one thing while doing another. There's no partial commitment. This is whole hog. And frankly, there are many today who would come to church, who would come to the Lord, who, who would approach God and Christianity in general with, with some loose affiliation with some loose claim that, yeah, that, that's, what I, that's what I believe, that's what I subscribe to, but uh, let's not get carried away. Let's not get crazy. Not take things too seriously. Friends, that's not what this is. That's not what Joshua is calling the people of God to. It's bigger than that. It's deeper. It's total... It is absolute. Second point there in your outline, it's also exclusive. We see that too in verse 14. Fear, serve, and put away the other gods. You see, the covenant Lord is not asking to be a part of what we're already doing. He's not asking to be added to your religious regimen. He says, put everything else away. If it's going to be me, it's going to be only me. Embrace me and reject all others. And it seems like Joshua's already anticipating a little pushback here. Oh, this is radical. This is extreme. A little pushback here. Joshua's anticipating to this total and exclusive commitment. And so verse 15 is a little shocking. He anticipates the pushback and he says, All right, if this is evil in your eyes... That's a strange way to put it. Some of your translations might round off the corners a bit and say, well, if it's disagreeable to you, 
If it's evil to you, if you don't like this, then you've got a choice to make. And here's this famous part, that verse 15. Again, it's probably hanging on your wall somewhere on a nice little plaque. Right? Choose you this day whom you will serve. But have you ever paid close attention to the choice that Joshua is laying before the people? It's a choice of which pagan gods are you going to follow. Pick some false gods. It can be the ones your parents served. Or it can be these new and trendy and hip gods of the Amorites that you've recently seen in their land. Pick one or the other. That's the choice Joshua's calling the people to. What kind of a choice is that? That's absurd. And that is exactly the point. It is an absurd choice. To consider that you would serve either of them instead of the covenant Lord. And so that leads us to number three on our list a a total and an exclusive commitment to Yahweh, to the covenant Lord, is the only logical, reasonable, appropriate choice. And miracle of miracles, the Israelites seem to get that. They seem to get it on some level. Look at their response to Joshua's absurd proposition in verses 16 through 18. The people answered. They heard this absurd choice he lays out before them, and they say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And they go on from there. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. They were were just complaining about it, you heard in Numbers 20, right? It's the Lord who brought us up and our fathers from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples. See, it's in light of the fact that Yahweh is rescuer and redeemer and protector protector and provider that for the Israelites at this moment they're like duh of course we're going to serve the Lord see they they get it right now for this very small brief time they get it they recognize that they wouldn't even still exist without the Lord's sovereign grace in their lives they realize in this brief moment that they owe him absolutely everything And so here is one of the natural links between the indicative and the imperative. Between God's grace and His deliverance and His blessing and protection and provision and how then we ought to respond with our very lives. It's just the only logical conclusion that we could come to. It's a no-brainer. If we have been recipients of amazing jaw-dropping grace 
How could we not? How could we not obey? How could we not serve? How could we not worship and do so gladly and freely and thankfully? Well, I for one, I'm glad that the Israelites made that right choice to serve Yahweh and that they all lived happily ever after. Well, let's open this back up. Because you see, verse 19 throws quite a wrench in the works here. So Joshua's saying, all right, you've got to serve him, you've got to fear him, you've got to put away your other gods. And the people say, we will. And then Joshua says, you can't. What a setup. It's kind of like Lucy and Charlie Brown with a football, right? Hey, Chuck, come kick the football. And so now we're at number four. This commitment, this service, it's impossible. It's impossible. You've got to serve him and you can't do it. And Joshua gives two reasons here for the impossibility of this commitment. Number one is that God is holy. And I think part of that is speaking to the, the standard that can't be met. Second reason Joshua gives is, is that God's jealous. And this definitely goes back to Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. And this commandment that you shall have no other gods before you. Why is that? Because he's a jealous God. He's a jealous God and he will not have it. So Joshua says, there's there's no way. No way you're going to be able to pull this thing off. You can't do it. And if that's not enough inspiration for you, He concludes this verse by saying, God's not going to forgive your sins either. Pause. What in the world is that about? So obviously we want to be careful here. This is not some, some global statement that God never forgives transgressions. Or that there's no hope whatsoever here. But I think what Joshua's doing is he's just following this argument to its logical conclusion. He's finishing his thought and he's saying, when you are not able to serve him, when you are not able to put away the other gods and serve him alone, then of course your sins, your transgressions, won't be forgiven when you're not able to to do this. So I'm going to come back to this a little later. I'm not going to tie it up with a nice little bow for you or try to resolve it. I'm going to come back to it a little bit later. I just want to let it hang right here right now. Let's look at this fifth thing in your list about this, this service, this commitment. 
It is both necessary and dangerous. You see, the Israelites and us by extension, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. Look at verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He, God, will turn and do you harm and consume you. You see, they've got to serve the Lord. It's an absolute necessity. If they don't serve Him, if they serve other gods instead, the Lord's going to bring harm. The Lord in His jealous Anger and wrath will consume them. And and so it makes logical sense in verse 21 that they're going to insist. They're going to say, oh no, we're going to serve the Lord. Right? We don't want to be consumed. We're going to serve the Lord. And so Joshua notes their choice and he responds to it and he says, okay, so you've chosen to serve the Lord. Now verse 22 Um, Your witnesses against yourselves today. Your witnesses against yourselves today. See, this is a choice with consequences. We talked some last week about this, this chapter, this event here in 24. It's part of a covenant renewal. It's part of... Um, of being reminded, it's part of a refresher, if you will, of this covenant that the Lord has made with His people from of old. And so now it's a time to to be renewed in that, a a time to re-up your commitment in that. And there will be consequences if they don't and if we don't make good on our commitment. So this is dangerous either way you look at it. Dangerous if you do and dangerous if you don't. And so in uh, verses 26 and 27, we won't throw that up on the screen, but uh, you can look down there and see Joshua sets up a stone marker, a, a witness about their decision this day, about their re-upping this commitment. And we've seen a lot of stones in Joshua for a lot of different purposes. We've seen stones that are reminders of God's faithfulness, like after they cross the Jordan River, and they set up stones and they say, hey, this is awesome, let's remember this. But then we've also had stones for other purposes, heaped up on the ruins of people who have died in the Lord's judgment. And so I'm sure that this stone that Joshua sets up and calls their attention to that day is a sobering thing. It gets their attention about what they've committed themselves to. All right, so there's the imperative. There's there's the commands, the expectations that are set before God's people, that are set before us. Fear Him. Serve Him totally, exclusively. Put away your other gods. 
Now, we've got to look closely. We haven't done one of the things early on that I said that we need to do. We've got to examine what's this connection. What's this connection between all these commands, all these expectations, and the grace and the blessing that came before it? How does the grace that Israel received, how does the grace that we have received propel and fuel and enable our keeping of this commitment, our, our serving and fearing the Lord. So we're going to work on that just a bit. And the first thing that we're going to do that's, that's helpful, I think, is to put these imperatives in the context of the whole biblical story, the whole biblical arc. Where do these imperatives come? Well, they come at the end of Joshua's life. They come as, as fulfillment of this promise has been made, originally made to Abraham long, long ago. Here they are in the land. All the enemies driven out. Promise fulfilled. Had plenty of ups and downs getting there, but now they've made it. So now what? Now what becomes of God's people? Well, we get a little hint of that in verse 31. It's a verse that I didn't read, but it's printed there in your worship folder. Verse 31 says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So those who were eyewitnesses, who lived and experienced a lot of these indicatives, a lot of these blessings, a lot of this grace, they did pretty good. They did all right. Seems like they actually made good on this commitment to serve the Lord for a time. Because all you have to do is turn the page, and I mean literally turn the page from Joshua to Judges. Y'all, and things come apart at the seams fast. Fast. Chapter 2 of the very next book, people did what was evil, they serve the Baals. They abandon the Lord. And a vicious cycle of sin and rebellion and judgment begins. Things will then get better briefly for a time when the monarchy is established. Right? Things sort of hit their peak with, with David and with, with Solomon. But y'all, that is brief. And it's downhill from there. The kingdom splits in two. The people are eventually disciplined by the Lord and captured and exiled from this very land. That's the context of this. That's the context of these imperatives, of these commands, of these expectations. And so, unfortunately, it seems that Joshua, he was right. You can't do this. Not for the long haul anyway. And so here's where you and I need to ask some questions about what we do with this. It's where I really have to ask some questions. What do I, as, as your pastor and as a teacher of God's Word, what do I do with this in giving it to you? Do I, do I give you verse 14 and 15? Do I just pass these commands on to you and say, all right, fear Let's serve. Put away your idols. 
and, and just hope that somehow you fare better than the Israelites did? Are, are we better than they were? Are we smarter? Are we wiser? Are, are, we're, more, we're more committed, aren't we? Frankly, that's, just, that's so. It would be foolish to think so. Comma, but. I really do believe that we can learn. I believe that we can grow. I believe that we can make progress in our fearing and in our serving and in our putting away idols. And I think that there are two very, very important keys to that in this passage, in these verses. The first of which is to go back to Joshua's not-so-inspirational comments about Israel's inability. You must serve the Lord, and you can't do it. Now, what are we to do with this? This is important. Because I think this really can be a key to our growing and to our making progress. Because I think it comes down to where you place the emphasis, the emphasis, on the right syllable. Right? Some of you get that. See, I don't think it's as much you can't do this as it is you can't do this. There's a big difference there. It's not that it can't be done. It's that you can't do it. See, you are the problem in this scenario, not the command, right? I am the, the weak part of this equation, not the thing that I've been called to. You know, I thought so much about Peter this week in studying this. Even though he's, you know, 1,500 years later. But how would, he, how would Peter have responded to Joshua's statement in 19? Right? Serve the Lord, Peter. You can't do it. How would Peter have responded? We don't have to stretch our imaginations too far to know exactly how he would have responded. Right? Because we see in Mark 14, and I'm not going to turn there, but you, you know it. Right? Jesus is telling his disciples, you will all fall away. And Peter says, uh-uh, not me. These schmoes may fall away. I'll never fall away. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never fall away. I have loved, loved, loved Dr. Dale Ralph Davis's commentary on Joshua. He came and spoke at a missions conference years ago. And I loved this one-liner that he had in this chapter on 24. One of the healthiest things a Christian can do is to doubt and question his easy expressions of commitment. Doubt? You want me to doubt? You want me to question? How could that be right? Some of you right now are, are bristling at that, 
I don't like that. But here's the reality. If we're going to grow, if we're going to commit and serve, if we're going to make progress in these things with the Lord, it's not going to be through the bravado of Peter. Because the bravado of Peter will get us exactly where it got Peter. Weeping bitterly after his three-time denial of the Lord. Hours after that promise was made. Now, our, our model for our response isn't Peter. But if we were hanging out in Mark's gospel, we would just look a few chapters before that for, for our model. In Mark chapter 9, there's, there's a, a man who brings his son to Jesus. His son has an unclean spirit. And the disciples have failed at driving him out. And this man is desperate. And he comes to Jesus. Can you do it? And Jesus' response is, can I do it? Of course I can do it. And he says, Anyone's, anything is possible for one who believes. And what is the response of this dad? Right? Here's our model. I believe. Help my unbelief. There's your model right there. I believe. And at the very same time, I know that I'm doubting, so help me. I, 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 at the very same time, I know that my faith is inadequate, so help me. Help my unbelief. See, that's an owning of our weakness. That, that's a, a healthy doubting of our abilities and begging for help. What if the Israelites instead of doggedly saying, no, we're going to serve Him. We're going to serve Him. We're going to do it. What if they had said, oh, Joshua, you're right. We can't do this. But God's our helper. We can't do this. Oh, God, help us to do this. Help us in our weakness. So that's, that's your first key. That's your first key. The second is this. And I think the second thing goes back to the fact that there's a problem in the Israelites' response. In their dogged commitment to saying, oh no, we're going to serve the Lord. It's only the serving that they ever mention. They never once in their response mention the putting away of the other gods. When that is what they've also been called to do. Remember, the commitment called for was whole and undivided. And they don't make any mention of, of getting rid of the divisions, of getting rid of the other things vying for their affection and their devotion. I think their hearts are still divided. I think they've still got other lovers. And I think Joshua knows this. Because look at verse 23. What's he telling them? Right? They've just professed again. No, we're going to serve. 
He said, okay, then put away the foreign gods and incline your hearts. You see, at the end of the day, this is not a matter of us being more committed or being more disciplined. At the end of the day, it's a matter of what we love. Of what we love above all else. If you're going to put away the false gods, if if we're going to put away our idols of, of pleasure, of leisure, of comfort, of success, of reputation, of influence, of power, whatever they are for you, if we're going to put them away, then we've got to have a stronger affection for something else. Your heart has got to be bent toward the Lord. It's got to be inclined toward Him. Because see, the, the two things in this, in this verse are not two separate things. The second thing, the thing in blue, is how you accomplish the first. Right? You put away the other gods by inclining your heart to Him. By coming to a place where you love Him more, where you love Him most. And we need a whole other sermon on how you would go about doing that. What does it look like to incline our hearts, right? So let me just give you two brief things and we'll be done. Number one, keep remembering the indicatives. Keep remembering His grace. Keep remembering how He has already met you and blessed you and protected you and redeemed you and rescued you. Keep remembering those things. Keep the focus of your heart on those things. And guess what? Focusing on how you have been the recipients of His amazing love will turn your heart to Him and you will love Him more as a result. Double down on the indicatives. Double down on them. Look for them as you read God's Word. Even numbers. Right? Look for them. Highlight them. Underline them. Write them down. Call your friend and say, look at this nugget I just found in Numbers 21 of all places tomorrow. Right? Double down on the indicatives. Here's the second thing. If you're going to incline your heart to the Lord, get to know Him. Get to know Him which of course comes through his word, but get to know him just who he is. He's beautiful in and of himself and his ways. Knowing him leads to loving him. If you know him, your heart will be drawn to his beauty and to his worth. So there's your two keys. We've got to own our weakness and our inability. We've got to be much more like the dad of that boy who says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's our first 
key. And our second is to seek whatever means possible. All the means at your disposal that you might incline your heart to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for how rich it has been to me personally. I thank you because I know that you've been faithful and you have fed your people with it. We pray and we ask that it would bear lasting fruit in our lives, in our ministry to others. We pray even in light of of these verses today that, that you, Lord, would reveal yourself as beautiful and glorious and worthy of our love and affection, that you would incline our hearts to you. And that in so doing, you would push out the lesser lovers. You would push out the false gods. You would push out our idols. They would appear to us as worthless as they actually are. Oh God, help us to be students of your grace. To double down on all of the ways in which you have blessed us. To make that our constant study and meditation Might that be the thing that we're constantly retelling to one another so that we might fear you, so that we might serve you, so that we might live lives that are worthy of the callings that we've received. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and let's.